0: Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, October 7th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News.
1: And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, NADA charts a new auto retail path. After three decades, cobalt mining is back in the U.S. And after five years, Tesla says it will finally deliver semi-trucks, plus conversation about the ways the pandemic has changed how customers communicate with dealership service departments.
2: The pandemic did push technology and it really shaped a lot of customers' behaviors that were in place
1: and really accelerated those behaviors. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry.
0: The National Automobile Dealers Association shared with Automotive News this week a new framework on evolving business models and the dealer franchise system. They highlight five broad areas covering topics from subscription services and over-the-air updates to vehicle reservations and data sharing. Those practices have become more prevalent, demanding greater clarification of the dealer's role. NADA CEO Mike Stanton says, while the document defines the organization's position on major issues confronting dealers, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach for the industry. If this is not a strategic document, it's not a nirvana, It's foundational and we need to act with urgency to make traction on all of these. NADA also reaffirmed its position on the future of the franchise dealership model. It says it is against further creation of different sets of regulatory requirements for manufacturers selling vehicles in the U.S. You can find much more on NADA's new guidelines at autonews.com. Booming
1: demand for EV batteries is reviving U.S. cobalt production After at least a 30-year hiatus, Australia-based Gervois Global is starting the first U.S. cobalt mine today in Idaho. Cobalt is a crucial component in EV batteries and is on the U.S. government's critical minerals list. The U.S. sees widespread adoption of EVs as key to its efforts to combat climate change. Gervois expects the new mine to produce 2,000 tons of cobalt a year. The concentrated cobalt will then be exported and converted into refined products outside the United States before it's ultimately brought back into the U.S. to serve customers. A federal court jury
0: in California has ordered General Motors to pay more than $100 million to a class of consumers. It found that GM hid an engine defect that caused problems including stalling and premature breakdown in tens of thousands of SUVs and pickups. The verdict follows a rare class action trial in U.S. District Court in San Francisco. The winning class includes owners and lessees of SUVs and pickups sold from 2011 to 2014 in California, North Carolina, and Idaho that contained the company's Generation 4 Vortec 5300 LC9 engine. Each of the roughly 38,000 class members would get $2,700 if the verdict
1: survives appeal. Tesla CEO Elon Musk says the EV maker will deliver its first semi-trucks to Pepsi. Musk tweeted the announcement yesterday. It comes five years after he showed off prototypes and began taking deposits for the electric big rigs. Musk says Tesla will hand over semis to Pepsi on December 1st. The food and beverage giant has reserved 100 of the trucks and expect to deploy an initial 15 by the end of the year. PepsiCo confirmed the plans. Finally, some
0: executive retirement news to end off the week. Johann Denyschen is leaving his job as Volkswagen Group's North American COO, saying he has, quote, done everything I have set out to do here. Denyschen is 62. He previously worked for Audi, Infiniti, and Cadillac. He framed his departure from VW as a retirement from the auto industry after a three-decade career, indicating that he plans to stay at his new home in Tennessee and, quote, truly relax.
1: And those are today's headlines. Jamie, the new NADA framework, it's very interesting. Is this a strategy to compete against Tesla? You know, in a
0: lot of ways it is. Tesla has brought so much innovation and change to the retail market, much like they did the change to the powertrain. Uh, the direct sales model has is very appealing to a lot of consumers and dealers don't want to get left out. The traditional brands don't want to be eclipsed by shoppers preferring to go online. So they really need to work together because the, the, the dealers don't want to get cut out. They want to be able to help, but they're, they've all got to make changes to compete with Tesla. There's a tough competition.
1: Well, Jamie, as you said, Tesla's changed the game, but also the pandemic definitely changed the game for dealers. Coming up, a look at how the pandemic has shaped interactions between service departments and their customers. We'll hear from Shaker Auto Group's owner, Joe Shaker, next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow,
2: host of Shift,
1: a podcast about mobility
2: from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one, with consultant and strategist, Salika Josiah Talbot.
3: The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be, and I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job.
2: To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The pandemic has forced service departments to change the way they communicate with their customers. Out of necessity, texting, sending customers videos of their vehicles needed repairs, as well as mobile scheduling and payment methods became the new routine for service departments and their customers. Although these things have improved transparency and the customer experience, at least one dealer says there's still room to get better. Joe Shaker is principal owner at Shaker Auto Group and co-founder of True Video. He spoke with senior editor Dan Schein about how digital tools are required these days for service departments. Here's their conversation.
3: Joe, thanks for joining us on the Fixed Ops Friday of Daily Drive. Hey, it's great to be here, Dan. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, your work at True Video and how that helps uh, during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, how did that affect the way customers
2: wanted to be communicated with? Well, I I think it's really not a cliche. You can actually say it was realistic when you hear the term technology accelerated uh, the pandemic during the pandemic. You know, remote work, uh, doing Zoom calls, uh, every little thing, anything remote. And that was true in in many parts of uh, the economy and it certainly was true in automotive. In my dealership businesses, uh, you know, we had to not just have... uh, great customer experience, we had to also make customers feel safe. So we had to do two things instead of just one thing, which we always focused on was CX and communication was certainly the key being able to communicate remotely. And it was at that point that, that the remote communication and video kind of took off out of necessity. Although everybody realized it was something that needed to be done in communication. um, It really, really took off because no one wanted to be next to anybody during that period of time. So Really, the pandemic did push technology and it really shaped a lot of customers' behaviors that were in place and really accelerated those behaviors
3: so how has this kind of during now that we're back to a more you know normal type of situation people are visiting service dealerships again service departments how has that the pandemic and that kind of digital revolution, I guess you maybe would say, has changed the service you know, experience in, in, at a dealership? Well, you know,
2: what happened really with, look, I started the video business because I don't want to be disrupted. I believe in the dealership franchise model. I believe that, you know, dealers and OEMs are going to become very integrated and work closer than they ever have because we have this existential threat, right, of these companies that are going direct or, and they've had some wind in their sales, Tesla obviously being the first. We don't know how the others will end up. Either way, communication and trust was something that I always heard marketing people talk about. And I was like, great, you know, we wanna, you know, we'd hear the OEMs or marketing folks talk about it. And I said, well, we wanna execute on it. So the video thing was something we had started pre. It already had traction in terms of high CX scores while simultaneously driving revenue. And then that pandemic basically forced people to do it who are really slow adopters and those adopters when they saw the cx scores when they saw the the customer responses saying oh my god great experience personalization all these words that you hear dealers caught on and i always tell dealers you know like myself i said listen don't change the way you do business we're just trying to change the way you communicate and it's the way customers want to communicate. The other thing that was really interesting, Dan, was if you just step back, I think we, we had some extra wind in our sales. It wasn't just the pandemic, but if you look at like customer behavior, texting is the most used app on the phone and videos, 10 billion videos are watched every day on Facebook, right? Just on Facebook, forget about TikTok and everything else. It would blow our minds. So customer behavior lined up and then mobile phones took better videos than Hollywood cameras did 10 years ago. And uh, Wi-Fi 6 and 5G and streaming. And so the technologies and customer behaviors also lined up. We saw that with streaming on movies and videos and Netflix and all sorts of, you know, training on Peloton, streaming, all these things. So people were used to doing, we didn't have to say, hey, change the way you, you live, just keep doing what you're doing. And and these behaviors and we just played into it. So it was very, it wasn't like I thought of that. It's we got lucky. We just wanted to provide a transparent experience and technology and customer behaviors backed us up. And then the pandemic kind of pushed it over the cliff. It's been going crazy ever since. I mean, we have studies, uh, 1.1 million ROs from one of the OEMs gave us their data and uh, with video uh, communication. The CX went up four points on net promoter score for intent to return, three points on value for service, and then the average RO went up $55. At the same time, the customer felt they had a great value. So it, the the proof came out and then the OEM started catching on and certain OEMs started making it part of their, you know, margin requirements, behind-the-line margin requirements, and it's been on fire ever since.
3: Now, I know you know the walk around uh, the multi-point inspection is always uh, uh, you know something that they always say you know it's good for customer retention to you know work you know walk around the car with the, with your with the owner how has video kind of changed that with the customer interaction it's so
2: great you asked that question because you know there's an example of us auto people dealers OEMs alike that got latched onto something and just didn't didn't adapt, right? So we did that, what, 38 years ago or 40 years ago. We, we said, we're going to do multi-point inspections because 70% of the customers are defecting after the warranty expires. And we're going to build trust. We're going to show them where they stand, walk them through each you know level that their car is at. And it worked very well for technicians because it allowed us to have the technicians do a standardized walk around and, and record the metrics. Where it failed was really building trust with customers. And evidence of that is that 70% of customers today still defect after the warranty expires, nothing changed. So the reality is, is it's a great internal document and it's a great way for the tech to do a, a specific recording of, you know, the condition of a vehicle, um, on a pen and paper and, and put that in, file it away but it was terrible with the customer. We actually had a dealer of a very large group give me this line. It was one of the best things he's ever said. I, I, I got to tell him, I owe this guy a fruit basket or something. But um, he said, uh, customers have been coming in all these years and asking us to play him a song. And we decided to hand him the sheet music. You know, Why didn't we just play him the song? And I was like, God, that is just so dead on. Um, we We weren't handling transparency. We weren't explaining it well. And it, it was it was just it was just amazing. The MPI, thirty eight years we've been doing that, the same thing over and over with the same results. You know, the old definition of insanity. So it, it's still part of the ecosystem, but it's not part of building trust. And even if customers didn't want to hear people's attention spans, if you had a great advisor and they would just do an active delivery and try to go through it with the customer, customers often didn't listen. They were just like, "I got to get out of here. I got to pick up my daughter. I got to, you know, go to work or whatever." So. It's really interesting, and that's a great example of how we're not adapting and changing fast enough in our industry.
3: So you hear a couple of buzz phrases, conversational commerce, asynchronous uh, communication. Kind of explain a little bit about what those mean in relation to automotive and and video. All right. Well, you hear
2: asynchronous, right? So that just means I'm going to text you and you're going to respond at your leisure, right? It's not live. It's not real time. And that's really important. And a couple of things that shocked me, and and I always share things I've learned, because, you know, again, I'm a car dealer. You know, at our dealerships, you know, we've been learning as we go. But then I also have this software thing, and now I'm able to add two and two together in many cases. So one of the things that, I'll give you a good example of a great customer experience. If I have you on hold for one minute and 30 seconds, or I'm talking to you on the phone, or whatever, you feel in lockdown. No one can talk to you. You can't do anything. People try to talk to you or do something. You know, no, I'm on the phone you feel like you're trapped. But if I respond to you four minutes and 30 seconds later, 300% longer, it's actually a better experience because you text me, you put down the phone, you do your thing. I respond, you pick up your phone. So that asynchronous at your leisure sort of communication, you can respond longer and have the customer more satisfied. It's like an oxymoron. So there's, it's a great example of, of how messaging overall is working. Uh, conversational commerce is a really deeper, deeper thought. So conversational commerce, when you hear it, you know, I think there's a, I realized we were involved in conversation and commerce when, uh, I started looking into it, but the definition is it, it represents the use of technology by merchants to engage with customers in real time. You see the words I'm stressing. So. The use of technology by merchants to engage with customers in real time, assisting in the purchasing process through messaging apps and automated tools. And it helps balance personalization and efficiency. And those are the things that customers are looking for. And, you know, we talk about all these things in communication and how other companies do it. And we always talk about Amazon and we always talk about all these different, you know, businesses. And it's how we're going to be able to understand our customers. A great example is we use uh, sentiment analysis, right? So the minute you text, I was very disappointed with a phrase. We can detect that that's a negative sentiment. And we, pro- we serve that phrase up in red right on the dashboard so someone could see it. Not four days later on an OEM survey. That's too late in real time. So there's an example of how we're sending a video. We're, we're providing personalization, seeing how the customer feels. Uh, is providing not just the ability for better experience, but efficiency. I figured it out right now. I want to find out you're unhappy this minute, and then I want to address it. If you were in the dealership, I would hear your tone of voice is loud, a little louder. I would see your body language is a little more animated. And I'd be able to walk right up to you and say, hey, Dan, hey, what's up? Let me see if we can take care of that for you. Remotely, we need to be able to do the same thing. And that's where this conversational commerce is. But conversational commerce also includes, can I... Make, help you pay? Can I provide you an estimate? You know, can I read the words and phrases and see how you feel? Can I speed up the process for you, make it easier for both the business and the customer? And that, that full ecosystem there of the communication and what can be done within it in messaging is how I really describe conversational commerce.
3: Well, Joe, it's an interesting conversation about how video and digital is, is kind of changing the service customer experience. Thanks so much for the conversation.
2: No, it's been a pleasure and love talking business with you, Dan, as always.
0: Joe Shaker is principal owner at Shaker Auto Group and co-founder of True Video. He spoke with Automotive News senior editor, Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters.
1: And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer, Jake Neer, for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on Fixed Ops, NADA's new dealership framework, and everything happening in the auto industry, at autonews.com. Come back
0: on Monday for a conversation about hydrogen infrastructure and clean generation. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.